Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. ...of the Christmas story, and uh, it's a lot like the Easter story for a preacher. Like, you know, how do you tell this story in a way that doesn't seem like, oh, we've heard that before, and that's never my goal. I'm never trying to be, like, just so witty or so different that you, you're like, oh, that is so amazing. Like, the story speaks for itself. The story is a timeless truth. It, it is something that no matter how you read it, no matter how often you read it, at least for me, when I read it, I always see a little something different. Well, a few months ago, we were actually sitting in the lobby here in a, in a creative team meeting as we were planning some things for the next few weeks and months at that point, and, and a portion of that meeting was, was targeted towards Christmas, and we were thinking about how to celebrate Christmas and the ways that we wanted to, to look at this story and what are the things that we wanted to do through our church and the various ministries. And our G Kids director, uh, Brittany Rogers, she, was, she made a statement, and she had actually made this statement in a different meeting, and it didn't hit me the way it hit me in that meeting. But she was talking about what she wanted for our, our kids, what she wanted for our children. Obviously, the three kind of tenets, the, the, the tent posts of how we do kids' ministry is that we want it to be a place where church is fun, we want it to be a place where friends are family, and we want it to be a place where the Bible comes alive. And, and they do that every single Sunday in some different form and, and the varieties of expressions. And we have an amazing team of people that love on your kids and teach them and partner with what you're already doing in your home to disciple them. But she said, you know, I want that feeling when a kid walks in and we're still working on it. We haven't, we haven't gotten it, but I want that feeling that when a kid walks in, it feels like home. And when she said that, I'm telling you, there was something on the inside of me. It was like a match that got lit. I thought, man, that's what the Christmas story feels like to me. I don't know if it's because I remember my grandfather sitting in the recliner, the, the, the kind of rocking chair recliner that he would often fall asleep in at night throughout the year, but he would sit in that chair, and when it came time to read the Christmas story, that chair was no longer just a chair that you sleep in. It, it was kind of a, a portion of the story. It kind of made its way into the telling of Christmas, and he would sit up on the edge of his seat, and he, he would open his Bible. It was much larger than this. It, it seemed so grand in my mind, and he would turn to Luke chapter 2, and he would begin to read to us the Christmas story. I remember going to my other set of my grandparents on the other side of our family, and it was a little different expression of how we celebrated Christmas with that side of the family, and it, it was all gospel-based. It was all you know, the narrative of Christmas in, in the sense that we're going to talk about today, but man, there was something about that, that the Christmas story felt like home. I woke up on Christmas morning, and there were cousins, and there was family, but there was also the smell. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know what it smelled like in your house on Christmas morning when you were a kid, but I can still smell it. Now, we call them something different at Christmas, and you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember, because on Easter we would call them resurrection rolls, but it was like, it was, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you just got the Holy Ghost right there, I mean, it was like, but it was like the crescent rolls that you would roll up, and you kind of kept a little bit open, you put some cinnamon and some butter in there, and you put the marshmallow in, and then when you put it in the oven, the marshmallow would melt, and you look in, and oh, it's gone. And so it was like, that's what happened to Jesus in the tomb. I don't know what we were calling it on Christmas, other than just like goodness in your mouth. I don't know, but I could smell it when I woke up on Christmas morning, because after it was all said and done, and we had opened the presents, we were going to eat those, and we were going to eat like 800 pounds of bacon. Like, that's what it smelled like in my grandparents' house. And so there's something about the Christmas story that feels like home. There's something about 
the words of this story that don't feel distant to me. They, they don't feel thousands of years ago. They, they don't feel like a manger. They feel like my grandparents' living room. And my hope is that the Christmas story feels that way to you. And if it doesn't yet, I hope that after this season of Christmas here at Generations Church, perhaps it will. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go with me to Matthew chapter 2. The actual Christmas story is not present in all four Gospels just because of the way that the Gospels are constructed and the portion of the life and ministry of Jesus that's being told. But, but we do have several really great retellings, primarily in Matthew and in Luke. And so I'm going to look at a little bit of both of those today and next week. But Matthew chapter 2, this is, this is the beginning of the chapter that comes after Matthew chapter 1. Some of you are tracking with me now. You know what I'm talking about. But Matthew chapter 1, that's the, like, the begats. It's like, and this guy was born, and then he begat you know, this guy, and then this girl, and then this guy. And then it's, like, it's like the family tree. It's like the lineage. And you see that in a couple of places in the Gospels from kind of the, really the, the family of, of Mary and how we kind of got there, and maybe the family through Joseph. And, and we see how all of this was constructed. But ultimately, we get to Matthew chapter 2, and perhaps these are the portions of the Scripture that you might be most familiar with. Beginning in verse 1, we read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, verse 5 continues there, so we just kind of cut it off because we're going to just focus on that for a second. But in Bethlehem in Judea. So we, we know that the Magi, they, they saw the star, and there's the idea they're coming, and King Herod gets word, and so he's trying to figure out, like, hey, I want to go and worship him too, which we know to be kind of a falsehood. He wasn't coming to worship. Eventually, we're going to see that he's kind of bringing this antagonistic view towards Jesus and to try to make sure he's going to just kind of go after all these newborn male babies. But when he asks, they say, in Bethlehem in Judea. So how did he, how did Jesus get to Bethlehem? Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, we see this. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, when we talk about he belonged to the house and line, we're talking about a family tree. We're saying that Joseph was of the house, of the line, of the family tree of David. And so when this census was called, and perhaps you recognize that language from the beginning of Luke chapter 2, there was a census that was decreed that all men should be counted so that they could be taxed, right? And so all of them had to go back to the hometown of their family. And so Joseph takes his pregnant wife, and they have to go to Bethlehem. And so the reason that this is important is, again, because Jesus wasn't originally from Bethlehem. He was going to be born in Bethlehem because of his father's line being of the house of David. If you go to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, you don't have to flip there unless you just want to make a note. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, we see this prophecy, and a prophecy is just something that's told in advance. So God uses prophets to foretell, to tell something that will happen in the future. This is not a guess. You can always tell if a prophet is right, is true, whether or not it comes to pass. And so we understand here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, there's this prophecy that an offspring of David's 
would establish a kingdom and that kingdom would last forever. And then we see that Jesus is born and we recognize his life and the trajectory of his ministry. And we see what takes place here, that he was from the house and the line of David. So while they're in Bethlehem now, they, they had to get there for the census. While they're in Bethlehem, Mary gives birth. And we're going to talk a lot more about this next Sunday. But if we continue reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and this was quoted in our children's play last week, she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Pretty famous verse, perhaps one that non-Christian, non-faith, non-Bible people would know, that he was born and he was placed in a manger. There was no room for him to be born, no room for the Savior to enter the world, no room for his pregnant mother to give birth. So she did her best in a barn. This is the story of this king being born to earth. This is the story of God sent to earth. So the shepherds, the magi, all of the nativity set that you've got there on your coffee table, they show up, they come, they worship, they bring gifts, they they, they tell the story of how they got there, and then they leave. So we're skipping pretty quickly through this story. They leave and then read this in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. It says this, And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. This is not the first dream or the first presentation of an angel to Joseph. There's actually three or four, depending on how you read the story. This is the second of those. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. So they got to Bethlehem. Now they got to go to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, I called my son. So what prophet? Why is this important? Hosea, the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament, chapter 11, verse 1, there is a prophecy, one of a number of prophecies, but Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, the prophet says that out of Egypt, I called my son. This this ministry of the prophet Hosea took place in really kind of the mid-700s BC. So if you just kind of put 750 BC, thinking before Christ, uh, Jesus wasn't really born on like 0 BC AD. If If you're tracking there historically, he was born maybe two or three years still, four or five years perhaps Uh, BC. So we're still talking 700 years before Jesus. We have a prophecy from the prophet Hosea who says that out of Egypt, I will call my son. So so I talked about prophecy just a second ago, and we're going to get back to the Christmas story in just a second. But I talked about prophecy. If you look in the Old Testament, there are more than 500 verses of scripture that explicitly or kind of implicitly apply to Jesus. There are more than 300 that we can point to that like very specifically talk about Jesus being born and his ministry and where he would come from and how this is going to take place. And all of those prophecies are taking place at least four or 500 years prior to his birth. Some of them seven or 800 years like the prophecy here in Hosea. Some of them more than a thousand years when you start looking at the prophecies of Isaiah. And so you're talking now about 500 perhaps, at least more than 300. But if you just pick out the 55 that specifically point to his birth, his life, his ministry, like you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years, there are at least 55 things that someone under the power of God was declaring about someone who had not been born yet and wouldn't be for hundreds of years. And yet Jesus shows up. In the various places that we're reading in Matthew chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 2. And Jesus begins to fulfill from his birth something he could not control on his own. From his birth, he begins to fulfill all of these prophecies. 
I was doing some research, and maybe you've heard something similar to this, but I was, I was doing some research, like, how unlikely is it that Jesus would show up and be the fulfillment of all of these prophecies? And so there's a couple of different places that you can find studies like this, but there was a group of researchers at Harvard a number of years ago who, who said, okay, there's you know, 500, at least 300. You go to 55. If you just take 40, that like there's no doubt about it, this is. But even if you take all of those away and you just go to the eight prophecies that specifically speak to kind of his birth and early life, the idea that he would have to go to Egypt, the idea that he would be from Bethlehem, the, the idea that he would be born to a virgin, all of these things, if you just take those eight and you start to do the math, what they said, and I'm not a math guy, so if you, if you kind of track with me here, the likelihood that Jesus would be able to fulfill all of those eight prophecies was one to the 10 to the 17th power. So that means there's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. That's the likelihood that Jesus would be the fulfillment of those prophecies. You're like, I don't, I don't really, I'm not tracking with that. I don't, I don't understand. So... If that's the case, let's just kind of put a picture to it. Here's what they said. They said, if you took a blind man and you took him and you put him in the state of Texas and you took all of those numbers, all of the 10 with 17 zeros behind it, and each one of those numbers represented a silver dollar, and you put those silver dollars just on the face of the state of Texas. You think about how big Texas is. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? I got no Texas people. Okay, that's awesome. All right, so... So you got 10 to the 17 zeros, right? All right, so you take a silver dollar, you would be stacking those too high on the face, on the landscape of all of Texas. And then you told that blind man, all right, I want you to walk all the way through the state of Texas. We've marked one of these silver dollars. You walk in any direction that you want to go, as far as you want to go, you turn around, you come back, whatever, and you pick up the one that we've marked. The likelihood that that blind guy will be able to pick out that silver dollar is the likelihood that Jesus would be the fulfillment of just the eight prophecies that speak to his birth. And there's 55 that we know point to his birth and early ministry. There's over 300 that talk about who he was, 500 that talk about the plan of God through the fulfillment of the Son of God. We're talking about like this crazy, unlikely possibility, except that God was working a plan. It was all about Jesus all the time. You don't have to read the Old Testament waiting on Jesus. He was already there. In the Old Testament, the story of Jesus is already started. It's already begun. And so you get to the Gospels, you get to the New Testament, you get to Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, and you see in some of these other places in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was there all the time, like all the way back to the chaos of Genesis 1, Jesus was present the whole time. Like Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, like that's just the cool part of the story, like at the end of Sixth Sense, where you're like, oh, there He is. Like you didn't know. Some of you haven't seen that movie. It's like 20 years old. That's your fault. But you're like, oh, that, okay, I get it now. If you think that's the first place he showed up, like you don't realize that this whole story's been about him the whole time. All of these prophecies. So in this Christmas story, it's not just that a bunch of shepherds show up. It's not just that the magi show up and they bring gifts. It's that all of the movements of Jesus to get him where he had to be were all the fulfillment of the prophecies from hundreds and even thousands of years before they had to get to Bethlehem. He, he was of the house and line of David. They had to go to Egypt. And you're like, well, yeah, but they were on the run. Yes, but the plan of God that sometimes seems crazy to us is still the plan of God. And I know when I read the Bible, I can, I mean, almost every single time I'm like, man, I, I see it, God. 
I see what you're doing. I see how you're working their story for good. I see how you're bringing things out of the bad of their circumstances. But when I'm in my story, I'm like, God, where are you at in this? How are you missing the details of my day? All of the various prophecies were fulfilled to bring us to the place of the story of Jesus. So keep reading in Matthew chapter 2. Let's kind of wrap up some of this scripture stuff as we kind of bring this thing home. Matthew chapter 2 verses 19 through 21 says this. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, another dream, and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Now, that may not sound like a lot. Maybe you've never really read that as a part of the Christmas story. And scholars have looked at all of the various timelines to try to determine how long was Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in Egypt. It could have possibly been as short as just a few months from the time that they left because we know that the shepherds and the magi, they, were, they, they didn't show up like in a few hours after the birth. I remember we had a visitor when we were in the, in the hospital. Was it with Tucker? And like Corey is like, about to have this baby. And we got a visitor that shows up and just the gift of gab just wants to talk and talk and talk. And I can see my wife. She's a peacemaker, Enneagram 9. Like she don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I can just see her and I'm like, hey, thank you so much for coming by. And then they tell another story and I can see Corey. She's like, okay, this is about to happen. Like, is he going to help? Is this like what's going to happen? Right. And so I'm like, hey, let me show you. They got a cool vending machine out here in the hallway. Let me show you this thing. It's awesome. And, And like, that's not how the shepherds and magi showed up. Like, They could have showed up as late as two years after his birth. But we recognize that Herod knows that Jesus is somebody that he should be threatened by. And so he decides he wants to kill all the babies under two. And so somewhere between a few months from that point to Herod's death, which happened somewhere around 4 BC, or maybe up to a couple of years, perhaps as late as 2 or 3 BC, they stayed in Egypt. They weren't home. They, they were staying like in an Airbnb in Egypt. Like this was not their home. They were of the house and line of David. They had to go to Bethlehem, but this is not where they were from. They're just hanging out in a foreign country trying not to have their baby get hurt. There was no place for them to go until the angel shows up and says, okay, you don't have to worry anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Go back to Israel. It was finally time for them to go home. It's finally time for them to go I don't know what your context of home is. I told you a little bit about my Christmas stories. We didn't always celebrate Christmas in my own home. We, we traveled to grandparents when I was a kid. But I had a great home. I'm thankful for my dad and my mom, my brother. I had a great home. It was filled with a lot of fun and memories and a lot of great things. Doesn't mean every day was perfect. Doesn't mean we always, you know, all just hugged all day long. It was like, this is so great. No, there was fights and arguments and all of those things. But, like, home is something I reflect on with with positive emotion and thought. Some of you don't have that same reality. Home for you is a place of stress and fear and anxiety. Home was a place that was unsettled. You were in one home some days, and then you had to go to another home other days. Like it it was perhaps for you abusive. It was something that conjures up emotions now that you still have to process and work through with a counselor or a spouse or a friend. And you try to process what that feeling about home means. Maybe it was filled with secrets. Maybe it was filled with instability. 
And so you don't think about home in the way that I'm even talking about this. But perhaps, even if that wasn't your context, even if if your context wasn't my context, I want us to think about the idea of home in this early portion of our Savior's life. He, He wasn't born where he was from, really. He was just kind of born in the town his dad's family was from. And then they had to go on the run to save his own life. And then eventually they got to move back home. But if you continue reading that story, like even then, they were a little bit afraid that if they got back to where they were actually from, they would still find violence. And so they kind of stopped about halfway. It was kind of like a big Bucky's. Like they just stopped to kind of hang out at a really cool place until they could actually get home, right? If you haven't been to Bucky's, it's awesome. It's amazing. I feel like maybe that's where Jesus landed for a portion. I don't know. But I don't know what your context for life and home actually looks like. I, I, don't, I don't know what you feel when you think about home. I looked up the definition. Home is a place where one lives, especially as a member of a family. We've got a home. And our kids, all four of our kids, Corey and I, we're, we all live together in our home. And here's what I want you to know today. No matter how you got here, welcome home. This is a place for you. We want you to be a part of the family here. We're not perfect. No home actually is, no matter how good it looks on Instagram. But welcome home. Every crooked path and every turn and every moment that you felt like you were actually on the run that delivered you to this place, it got you here. Welcome home. I don't tell the stories a lot about my time in college I talk a lot about my time in high school, and I talk a lot about my time after college. But in college, I had fun. I had a great time. I didn't always do well academically. There were some semesters that I played a little more golf or intramural softball or dated than I studied, if we're just being honest. Don't follow that example if you have not been to college yet. I encourage you to not do those things. And I'm going to need to delete this before my kids listen to the podcast, okay? (laughs) But I remember there was this one semester, and it seemed like everything was piling up on me. Like every bad decision that I'd made up to that point, I was seeming to like have to pay for that decision like that semester. Some bad dating relationships, bad financial decisions, bad spiritual decisions, like bad educational decisions. Like it was just, it was just bad. It was just a really bad semester. And I was convinced, because I was good, I was convinced that I had my parents fooled all the way back home where they had no idea. Now that I'm a parent, I recognize that amazing, intuitive gift that I didn't know they possessed back then. (laughs) They knew. My mom would just keep calling. She would be asking all these, like, probing questions. And I was, like, 19, maybe. I was like, Mom! Sounded like I was 12. But I was convinced. She didn't know. She knew. And one night I was on the phone with my mom, and she said, why don't you come home this weekend? That was probably the place I needed to be the most. It was probably the place I wanted to go the least. She's like, no, 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 come on home this weekend. Why don't you just come home? And then she tricked me. You know how moms do? She was like, I'll cook your favorite meal. We'll have banana pudding on Saturday. And she was like, and I'll do all your laundry. That was pretty hard to pass up. I was like, all right, all right, all right. So I loaded all of my dirty laundry, which at that point was everything I owned. (laughs) 
You know how you do? You just pick it up and be like, I can wear that another day. Like, that's, that's kind of what it was. So I took all of my dirty laundry and I piled it into the back of that Volkswagen Jetta. And I drove home. And I was kind of like the, the prodigal son on the way home. Not because I had been off in a far distant country in the pig slop, but like I was practicing my speech. If you know that story of the prodigal son, like, he's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please make me as one of your hired servants. Like, I wasn't saying that, but pretty much I was saying that. I was like, you know what? It's been a tough semester. I don't know if you guys know this, but like, I'm taking some hard classes, and you know, I broke up, you know, like, there's a lot of things, like, I'm, it's been a tough, and I was like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to do better next semester. And I was like practicing the whole thing all the way home. And my car smelled terrible. I remember the smell. It was like all my laundry back there. It was terrible. And I pulled into the driveway of my house, and it was late. And I thought, maybe they'll be asleep, and we can talk about it tomorrow. But all the lights were still on. I'd be like, man. So I sheepishly walked up the steps to the door. And I was like, maybe I can sneak in. And I opened the door. And there they were. My heart was pounding, kind of like it's pounding right now, telling this story. And I walked into that living room, and I was about to start my speech. Hey, what's up, guys? You know, I'm so glad to be home. It's been a tough semester. And I didn't even get to start it because my mom just crossed the living room and hugged me. She just hugged me. She didn't say anything. My dad watched for a second. He walked over and he hugged me too. And now we're just hugging in the middle of the living room. And I started crying. All of that stuff all semester that I was convinced that I had hidden and that I was convinced I could handle all by myself, I remembered, oh, I don't have to handle it by myself. I'm home. I'm home. I don't know how long we hugged. I don't know how long we cried, but it felt like a long time. Eventually, we sat down at the little kitchen table, and we just started talking. And where I thought that they would be mad, they were just happy I was home. And where I thought that they would be super judgmental, they were so grace-filled. And where I thought, like, I don't know, it became this really safe place for me just to bear my soul about the things that I was hurting about, the mistakes that I'd made, the things that I'd said, the things that I'd done. It was a safe place. I think I slept better that weekend at home than I'd slept in months because I was home. My mom did all my laundry that weekend. We loaded it all back up in that Volkswagen Jetta. I can still remember how the car smelled on the way back to school. It smelled a whole lot different than it did on the way from school. And I went back to school, and it wasn't very long after that that I was sitting in a chapel service on our campus. And God captured my heart towards the calling for my life. And I always point to that chapel service. But since that creative meeting in the lobby where Brittany talked about it feeling like home, I've thought about this story, and I've remembered that it was that weekend at home that marked me. It was that weekend at home that opened up my heart to receive all that God would have for me and really propel me towards all that God desired for me. 
because I went back home. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. Home should be a grace place. Home should be a safe place. Home should be a healing place. Home should be a resting place. And I don't know what your journey has been like. I don't know all that you've done and all that you have experienced in your life. But maybe like baby Jesus, you've spent some time on the run. It's just all felt a little unsettled. It's just all felt like a little bit like, I don't know where I, I fit in. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I, I don't know where I'm from. I, I don't know who I am, perhaps. Until the angel shows up and tells Joseph, he says, it's time for you to go home. If nothing else in this Christmas season, I hope, I hope that you know this is a safe place for you. I hope you know this is a place that you can walk in carrying your dirty laundry and nobody's going to judge you for that. We're going to hug you. We're going to cry with you when you want to cry. We're going to laugh with you when you want to laugh. Welcome home. Now here's what, it would be easy to pray right there because we all feel good about it. I feel good. Maybe you don't feel good. I feel good. But here's that part that just keeps stirred up inside of me. We live in Cherokee County, and I'm, I'm using very approximate numbers, but in Cherokee County currently, there are about 250,000 people. The latest statistics about the statistics, even in the south, the southeast, here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, the number of unchurched people in our county just using this number is about 110,000 people. You're like, no, there's no way. There's great churches everywhere, and there are. And there are. But in our county, where we live, there's 110,000 people that don't have a church home. Doesn't necessarily mean, I'm not judging them to say they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Church does not save you. Jesus saves you. But we are not called to live life by ourselves. We are not called to do life on our own. We're called to do it in community with people. And if nothing else in this Christmas season... There's people that you and I know. There's friends and family. These are literally our neighbors. They need to come home. And if you say, well, Cherokee County, that's big. Like, I don't even go to the south part of the county. I don't even go to the north part of the county. I don't even go. Okay, let's just look right around us. Within the five miles of this church, there are 16,000 people. Right in the five miles right around us at the latest statistics that I could pull. Of those 16,000 people within five miles of this church, many of them who drive right by this facility on a regular basis, there are approximately 7,100 of them that are unchurched. If that doesn't do something to your heart, in just a second when we pray, you need to ask God, why not? God, help me to see people the way that you see them. That no one is so far gone that they are exempt from the love and mercy and grace and forgiveness of God that I have received. I didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to earn it. And sometimes what happens is we spend so much time in a relationship with Jesus that we forget who we were before Jesus. Like, no, there's some great people in those numbers. And every number is a name and a story. And in this season, I want you to be welcomed home, but I want them to be welcomed home too. And it may not be here. But I hope it's somewhere in some church in our community that's preaching Jesus. That's my hope. So we're going to pray. 
And we're going to ask God to help us to be a place where every single person that walks through the doors and every single person that drives by this place experiences the presence of God in a way that feels like home. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. God, I thank you for the Christmas story. I thank you for Bethlehem and a manger and Egypt and prophets of old. And God, I pray today that you would help every one of us, perhaps those that have felt like we've been on the run for some of our life. We've made mistakes. We're afraid. We're anxious. God, to recognize that we can come home. And God, give us a burden for those that we know who need a place like this too. With nobody looking around, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to ask him to forgive my sins and enter into relationship with him. I want to change my eternity right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. If you're watching online, you're making that decision, please drop that in the chat. Email us at prayer at g.church. Let us know. And now if you'd say to me, Jeremy, I know some people that need a home. They need a spiritual home. They need a family. And I'm asking God this week to help me to be an inviter, to be an encourager, to reach. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Got my hand's lifted. I want to do that this week. God, we love you and we thank you. Hear these prayers today. See these hands lifted. God, I ask you for every person who's made a decision to follow you, that, God, they would experience the fullness of your forgiveness and your love, unconditional love. They don't have to do anything to earn it. You freely give it. It's already been done. So, God, I thank you for that. And, Lord, I pray for every one of us that lifted our hands. Help us to see people the way that you see them. Help us to engage people right around us. Help us to listen with spiritual ears to the things that they're talking about in this season. And, God, to invite them to a place like this, maybe even to this place, to encounter who you are, and it would change this Christmas for them forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.